Well, our scripture reading today comes from Proverbs chapter 4. And so I'm going to give you a moment. You can grab your Bibles or maybe you've got it on your phone, your device. Pull that up and we're going to jump into Proverbs chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 10. And it says this, Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we are doing a series through the book of Proverbs And as we've said in the last few weeks, Proverbs is all about wisdom. And wisdom, uh, we begin to define as a skill. It's a skill that you can grow in, that you need to grow in. It's the skill of being able to navigate all the many complex areas of life, all the complexities of life in God's world. And so that's the skill we're seeking to grow in, even as we study this great book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs, as we saw last week, describes uh, the, the Christian life following Jesus like a path, like a path. And so last week, we kind of introduced that theme, and now today, our passage is going to pick up that theme, it's going to develop it even further. And then in the weeks to come, after this week, every single week from now till Easter and a little bit after Easter, we're going to look at a very specific subject every week to grow in wisdom, an issue like anger or an issue like friendship or envy. That's what's coming up. But today, one more message introducing kind of the big theme of Proverbs. Now, outside the, book, outside the Bible itself, there's really one book uh, that I think of that describes life like a path, life like a journey, better than any other book. And that is the famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. If you don't know it, it was written way back in 1678 by a man named John Bunyan. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. Actually, the second most sold book in the history of the world until about 60 years ago. So it's famous and you ought to read it. It's an allegory of the Christian life. It describes the Christian life like a journey, like walking a path. And so the main character in the story is a man named Christian, Christian then flees the city of destruction, he has his sins forgiven at the cross, and he begins a long walk, a long journey to what is called the celestial city, a picture of heaven. He starts on this long journey and he has to follow what's called the king's path. 
He's warned to stay on this path. He has a friend named Hopeful who goes on this journey with them, and together they're teaching us about the Christian life, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so they fall into all kinds of troubles. They have a lot of difficulties along the way. But there is one particular incident that really captures what our passage today is all about. At one point, Christian and Hopeful are very discouraged. They're discouraged because walking the king's path is not always easy. In fact, they've had a difficult time of it. So as they're walking along and they're talking about how they wish there was an easier way, they come around a corner and there before them is a giant meadow. As they look at this meadow, they just think, wow, that is a gorgeous place. I wish we could walk through there. And as Christian looks at it a little more carefully, he sees there's actually a path in the meadow. And this path parallels the king's path. The path is called uh, or the meadow is actually called bypath meadow. We don't use that word bypath anymore usually, but a bypath is just a different path or a side path. So what Bunyan is saying is there's a different path that you can follow and it goes through a beautiful lush green meadow. It follows the king's path and so they look at each other and Hopeful says to Christian, or Christian says to Hopeful actually, that would be a far easier path to walk on. Since it follows beside the king's path, let's take it instead. And so they do. And this other path is indeed much easier to walk on. As they're walking, a man kind of catches up to them and passes by them, and they, they talk with him for a moment, and this man says he is also going to the celestial city. And so they feel pretty good about their decision. Clearly, they're still on the right path, and it's a better path. It's an easier path, and this man's going there anyway, so we'll follow him. Darkness falls, and this other man has now gotten ahead of them. They lose sight of him in the darkness. And then suddenly, when things get very dark, they hear what sounds like a man falling, falling down into some ravine or something and screaming and crying out. Up ahead, this man has indeed fallen into a very deep pit, and he's broken every single bone in his body. That pit was dug by the wicked prince who owned the lands around here, who owns Bypath Meadow. It was designed to trap anyone who would dare to come onto his lands. Then suddenly, just as they hear the screaming noise from the man ahead, it begins to rain. And what they have not noticed is the meadow is actually in low-lying lands, and so the meadows begin to flood. And the way back now is too dangerous. They, they can't figure out how to go. The waters are beginning to rise. They're getting very scared. And then they suddenly look at each other and hopeful groans and he says, oh, that we would have stayed on the king's path. Christian also sees how foolish they have been. And he says, who would have thought that this path could lead us so far astray? They want to go back to the king's path, but the way is dangerous. To make a really long story short, they do eventually make it back to the king's path, but only after they are first captured by a giant thrown into his dungeon. He comes and he beats them within an inch of their lives and they only escape out of his castle with their very lives getting back onto the king's path. Now, what is Bunyan trying to say to us with this little incident, trying to describe what it's like to live as a Christian, to follow Jesus? What is he trying to communicate to us from the Bible about what it means to follow Jesus? 
Well, he's showing us what this passage today is going to show us, namely that following God's path of wisdom is not always easy. It's not easy to follow Jesus. Many times also we are tempted to leave Jesus and following him for what look like easier paths. And listen, this is important. Those paths often are easier and more enjoyable for a short time. But in the end, they always bring more problems, more pain, and sometimes, like the man who fell in the pit, they even destroy our entire lives. Do you want your life to go well? I'm assuming you do. I certainly want my life to go well. Do you want to avoid completely wrecking your life and blowing up your life? I'm assuming that you do. Listen, the Bible never promises that following Jesus is going to be an easy thing. But it does say to you, there is a wise way to live. It's not always easy, but if you will follow the path of wisdom, it will save you from many problems. It will save you from a tremendous amount of pain if you'll stay on the king's path, which isn't always easy, but it's better than going on these other trails which seem easier, but only bring problems, only bring pain, and also, of course, could eventually destroy your entire life. That is what our passage is about today. And even the best part of all is that though the king's path is not always easy, it does lead to a destination. It leads to your ultimate happiness. And I'm assuming that because you're a human being like me, you want ultimate happiness. You don't want your life falling apart. Well, if you're in that situation, then let's look at our passage today because our passage calls you and I to do three things. First of all, it calls you to simply stick to the path. Stick to the path. Secondly, it calls you to guard your steps And then finally, it's going to call you to do the right thing if you've gone the wrong way. So let's unpack these three things today. Let's look at our passage. And we're going to begin really in verses 10 to 19, looking at this little section. And then we'll look at the last section in our second point. These verses, though, in the first place, call us to do this. Stick to the path. That's the first call. Stick to the path. Now, these verses, as we begin to unfold Proverbs chapter 4, these verses are once again a father speaking to his younger son, like a 12-year-old, 14-year-old boy. He is instructing him in the way of wisdom. And this young man, if you read Proverbs, he's been raised kind of in the faith, but He's still a bit on the fence. He he has not fully committed himself to the Lord yet and to following the Lord. And the father wants to say to his son, okay, I want to teach you the way of wisdom. And so this passage today, it's for everyone, regardless of your age. But if you're a teenager, if you're a young adult, this passage is especially for you. Now, the father says you can choose to walk one of two potential paths. You can only walk one path at once, but there are two potential ways that you can live your life. The first is the path of wisdom that lives rightly before God. So the father describes this in verse 11. Here's what he writes. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. We looked at this last week. To walk this path is, first of all, to become in a relationship with God Almighty, with Yahweh we talked about through Jesus Christ. So to become a Christian, that's how it begins. 
And then very importantly, it means to fear the Lord. How do you walk it? You fear the Lord. Now, we said last week, or two weeks ago, I guess this was now, if you weren't with us, uh, to fear the Lord does not mean to become scared of him. That's not what it means. It means that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and that relationship is the controlling factor over all of your life. It controls everything. So every single part of your life, you're saying, Jesus, I want to know what it means to please you and to live for you in absolutely every, every area. And on the other side, I don't want to displease you. I don't want to disobey you. Teach me how not to do that. So to fear the Lord means to be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And that this is the controlling factor of your life. And what Proverbs is teaching us is that if you will walk that path, that is the path of wisdom and that is the way to life. So that's path number one. But the father also describes another path that you can take, and uh, that's in verse 14. He warns him, his son, saying, do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. And in case you don't get it, watch four, four big commands. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Have you got it yet? Well, just in case you don't, turn away from it and pass on. Do not walk this path. Could the father be more clear with his son? He's warning him, and if we were to read on, if we had more time, we could develop this. But he's saying, son, if you walk that path, what will happen to you is it will actually even change your very desires. Like you have desires for food and drink, if you keep walking that path, your very desires will change, and it will lead you to crave wrong things, and those wrong things will destroy your life. So big picture then. What this passage is saying to us, it's calling us for all of us in the big picture of our lives to choose which path we will take. Will we walk God's path of wisdom or will we walk in different paths? But it's also saying you've got to choose this every single day and every single hour of your life. It's in one sense a large choice for your whole life, but it's also a choice that you make hourly, that you make daily. Because mark this, listen carefully. Who you are, and who you will become is determined by a million little choices that you make each and every day. Each and every day. Who you are is shaped by all this. Listen, think of just like the best Christian person you've ever known in your whole life. You know, someone you just look up to, uh, they're, they're patient, they're loving, they, they love the Lord, all that. Listen, those people never got there just one day to the next. They got there over years. I'm, I'm guessing you're thinking of someone a lot older than you. They got there by walking the path, left, right, left, right. Little things over and over for many, many decades. On the other side, think of someone you know maybe who's just totally blown up their life. Think of all the worst examples of, I don't know, money laundering, stealing from companies or wrecking families or whatever. Listen carefully to this as well. People who destroy their lives... It's not because they just made one foolish decision and they've been wise the rest of their lives. Their character has been shaped by millions of little decisions along the way, so they eventually made a massive blunder which blew up their life. We are all the result of a million choices along the way. Who you are and who you will become is determined by whether you will walk the path of wisdom daily and hourly or whether you will choose to walk a different path. 
I think one of the most powerful examples of this that I've come across is the life of Oscar Wilde. You may not know that name. He's getting kind of, it's older now. He lived in the late 19th century. He's a very famous man, but in many ways, a very modern person. Oscar Wilde was a famous playwright in London, and uh, if you're older, maybe you know the play The Importance of Being Earnest. Maybe you've heard of that. Still performed in London. That's one of his plays. Early in his life, though, Oscar Wilde chose not to walk in God's path of wisdom. What he said is, I am going to decide for myself how I'm going to live my whole life, and how I want to live my life is to, to get rid of religious rules and these kind of things, and I would like to experience things in life, and I want to experience pleasure. I want to pursue my own life and live life to the fullest. And so that's exactly what he did for his whole life. He pursued art. He had many sexual relationships with both men and women. He wanted to live life the way he saw it to the full. Near the end of his life, this great author and great writer wrote a very famous novel called A Picture of Dorian Gray. Do you know that novel? A Picture of Dorian Gray. One of my personal favorite novels. If you've never read it, I would commend it to you. It's it's crazy. But I think it's one of the more important novels, especially a young adult could read, because here's what it is. It's really his autobiography. I'm going to tell you the story, but some obvious parts where it's not. But it's really the story of his life. And here's the big part. It's a warning. It's a warning to everyone who comes after him, particularly the young is who he's targeting, to say, look at my life and learn from my mistakes. So here's what the story is. It's a story about a young man named Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray is extremely handsome, and he's kind of an innocent and young, naive young man, like in his late teens. And the story begins with him being, uh, he's sitting there having his, his portrait painted by his friend named Basil. And so he's sitting for hours and hours, and in the meantime, he's having a discussion with an older man. And this older man is talking to him about how when you get older, you just don't get to experience so much pleasure anymore. And he convinces Dorian, he says, you need, while you are young, throw off all constraints, throw off all rules. If I was young, this is what I would do again, this man says to him. You need to pursue happiness, and whatever makes you happy, you should do it. Forget the rules, forget the consequences, do it while you're young, because one day you'll be an old man like me, and you'll regret that you didn't live life to the fullest. And so as Dorian's having his picture, or his portrait painted, He's considering this, and then the, the painting is done, and he goes over, and he's looking at this painting, a portrait of himself, and he's absolutely struck by just how perfect it captures him, how perfect all of his features are, and then as he's reflecting on the conversation with the older man, he suddenly becomes a little bit upset and bothered because he thinks about the fact that this painting is never going to age, decade after decade, and yet he is going to age And he's going to lose that great youthful beauty that he has right now. And so in that moment, he makes a wish. He wishes that it would be the other way around. That somehow the painting would get old and bear the consequences of whatever happens to his body. And that he would be like the painting and he would never get old, but would always be young, always be handsome. And so the story continues, and he falls in love with a young woman, promises to marry her, but then something happens in his life, and he turns against her. 
He's kind of really mean to her, actually. He casts her out of his life, and through his cruel act and the way he treats her, she just becomes distraught, and she eventually commits suicide. He's thinking about this one day, about her suicide and kind of the whole scenario that's going on, and he's looking at the painting of himself, and then suddenly he notices something. The expression in the painting has changed just a tiny little bit. He he draws closer. He looks at it. And sure enough, the expression has changed just a little bit. So now the expression on the painting has just a touch of cruelty around the mouth. And then he suddenly realizes his wish has come true. This terrifies him at first. But then he starts to realize the implications of it. He realized there won't be any consequences for anything I do. I can do whatever I want. And and the painting will bear the consequences, but I will not. And so he remembers the conversation with the older man about the need to throw off all constraints and live life while you are young. And so he does exactly that. He lives however he wants. And it begins to change him over time. He treats people poorly. He has a tremendous amount. I mean, he just throws himself into a life of partying and enjoyment and whatever he pursues, collecting great works of art. He goes around the world. He travels. He has many sexual relationships, drugs, alcohol. Whatever he wants to try, he does it. Many years pass, and occasionally he sees how the painting is changing. But one day after many decades, he decides to see what the painting looks like. And he goes over and uncovers it only to discover that the painting now basically looks like a picture of a rotting corpse. It's absolutely hideous. It even feels like there's an odor coming off of the painting. He's totally revolted. He's disgusted by it. And he decides he's going to tell his friend Basil, who painted it, he's going to tell him all about it. And so he brings Basil over. He, he shows him the painting. He tells him everything that's happened. And, and, and Basil suddenly becomes horrified himself. And he says, Dorian, you need to understand the lesson that you're supposed to learn from this. Because he's looking at his soul. And his soul has become rotten and corrupted. And he says, saying, Dorian, you need to learn the lesson from this. And so here's what you read. He says, pray, Dorian, pray, he murmured. What is it that one was taught to say in one's boyhood? Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. Wash away our iniquities. Let us say that together. Dorian Gray turned slowly around and looked at him with tear-dimmed eyes. It's too late, Basil, he faltered. It's never too late, Dorian. Let us kneel down and try if we cannot remember a prayer. Isn't there a verse somewhere? Though your sins be as scarlet, yet I will make them as white as snow. In that moment, Dorian had a moment to choose. His heart began to grow soft, but then suddenly it grew hard. And he doubles down on wanting to live the life that he wants to live. This produces an anger within him. He begins to resent, to hate that he even told Basil this. He grabs a knife and he murders his friend. After disposing of the body, he covers the painting, puts it up in an attic so no one can find it at all and locks the door and goes back to living his life. Now decades later, still a handsome young man who can get whatever he wants in the world and he pursues it with all of his might. But all of this continues to trouble him. And so one day he goes back to the attic and uncovers the painting and by now it's just absolutely horrific to look at. 
and he cannot handle it anymore, and he becomes very angry. The knife that he killed Basil with is still sitting there, and he grabs the knife, and he plunges it into the heart of his picture, of his painting of himself. And in that moment, that's when the book ends, and the book ends with the neighbors hearing a great scream of pain. The police come, and they break into the attic, and there they discover a painting of a very handsome young man. And in front of the painting is a dead body of an old man, completely shriveled up and dead with a knife through his heart. What is Oscar Wilde trying to teach us with that story? Oscar Wilde is trying to warn us. He is saying the same thing Proverbs is saying. That the choices we make day after day, the path that we choose to walk, will shape us. It is inevitable. It cannot not do it. The choices that we make affect our souls for good or for bad. And Oscar Wilde is saying that choosing not to walk God's path can indeed be great fun for a little while, like going into Bypath Meadow. It can make life easier. It can feel great. It can feel really happy. But what Oscar Wilde is saying to everyone, and especially to the young, is this. You will pay the price. Because you cannot make decisions. You cannot do things without there being consequences. Every step gradually corrupts the soul. And so at the very end of his life, Oscar Wilde wrote these famous words in reflecting on his own life. He said, the gods had given me, this is not the novel, by the way. This is reflections on his real life. The gods had given me almost everything. But I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease, living for himself and for pleasure and happiness. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me, and I passed on. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character makes or unmakes character, and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber, the secret room, one has to someday cry aloud from the housetop. And here's the big conclusion he said, I ceased to be Lord over myself. I was no longer the captain of my soul, and I did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended in horrible disgrace. What a warning. What a warning, especially to those of us or those of you who are young. The path of living for yourself and making up all your own rules and that, it indeed may seem easier, may seem like that's the way to happiness. But what Oscar Wilde is trying to say to you, what the father in the book of Proverbs is trying to say to you, is it will only lead you down wrong paths and you will end in horrible disgrace. It leads into further darkness. This is why verse 19 says this, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They've gone so far into darkness, they don't even know what will wreck their lives. In sharp contrast is the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom starts out, it seems dark. You can't see where it goes, but it's like the dawn. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you begin to see clearly, the more the light begins to grow until one day you begin to see very clearly. That's why verse 18 says this, but the path of righteous, the righteous is like the light of dawn, 
which shines brighter and brighter until full day, until noon. Young people, especially, but everyone, but young people, please hear this. Listen to these words now. Do not believe the lie that you can walk away from God and find the true happiness and satisfaction that I know that you want. The difficulty with being young is that you know you want happiness, you know you want fulfillment, but of course you cannot see far enough into life to know exactly how to get there. And so you just start making decisions. But what you need to do is to listen to those who've gone before you, to learn the hard lessons of their lives and to pay attention because they're telling you things. Oscar Wilde is yelling back to you from the grave. He's yelling back to you saying, don't walk the way I walked. Proverbs is trying to say to you, listen now while you're young. Don't have to learn the hard way. You're going to learn, but you don't have to learn the hard way. Every single choice you make is shaping you. Every decision you make is shaping you. It's either leading you closer to the celestial city and to your true happiness and joy, or it is corrupting your soul and it's leading you down a path that will only end in ruin. So choose what path you will take. Choose God's path of wisdom. Choose to follow Jesus Christ. And the first point is very simple. Stick to the path. Stick to the path. That's verses 10 to, what were we at, 17, I think. Now we have to say something else, because that's important too. Make sure you get in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're following the king's path. Okay, that's important. But now we need to see something else in verses 20 to 27. When you're walking the king's path, okay, I'm following Jesus now. Now there's another message that you need to hear. Even as you walk the king's path of wisdom, you must also do a second thing, which is to guard your steps. You got to guard your steps. Very, very important. There will always be temptations to leave God's path, to leave the king's path, to take the easier path through bypath meadow. That's always going to be there. So how then do you guard your steps to make sure that you stay on the king's path And don't get caught and deceived into falling off into bypath meadow. How do you practically do that? Well, the main answer is in verse 23. And here's how it reads. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Now that word keep at the beginning there means to guard, to keep. Like a soldier stands guard. You're to guard something. What do you do to guard? Your heart. Now, your, your heart in the Bible is not this physical organ that pumps blood through your body. You should guard that too. Uh, but the, the heart in the Bible is something much bigger than that. It's like when we say something like, you know, she puts her whole heart into her job. We don't mean she literally puts her physical heart, do we? we know, you know what that means. It means she puts her whole being into her job, every part of her. And that's the same with the Bible. In the Bible, the heart is the control center of your life. It involves how you think, how you feel, the decisions you make. It's the control center that controls absolutely everything else. So this verse beginning is saying, you got to make sure you guard your control center. Guard it with all vigilance. Keep careful watch over it. That's what that's saying so far. Now, why should you do that? Here's why. For from it flow the springs 
of life. So imagine a spring like coming out of a hillside that then maybe waters a town, brings water to a town. It's saying guard that spring up at its source. You got to guard it because if somehow it got poisoned, it's going to affect everything else, right? You've got to guard your heart because it affects every single other area of your life. Your actions in life flow from whatever you've allowed into your heart. So I was thinking about this the other day, uh, that here in Greater Victoria, we all get our water uh, from up in the Gold Stream, up in the Souk Hills. That's where our watershed is. And so, of course, the rain comes down and we have the big watershed, the hills. All those rains flow down into reservoirs. Reservoirs go, it goes through a whole process through the pipes. And eventually, that water comes out into millions of taps, affecting millions of lives all over the CRD. Have you ever been up to the Humpback Reservoir? Uh, and walked on what is the, called the Great Trail. It's kind of a newer trail. If you haven't done it, wow, that is worth a walk. You park at the Humpback Reservoir, and then you walk on the Great Trail, and eventually brings you to this gorgeous waterfall. It's a tremendous trail. So I went and did it the other day, uh, because I knew where I was going with this sermon, I wanted to go take a picture. And the picture I wanted to take is of signs that they have posted. Whenever you come near the watershed, which is up on the Souk and Goldstream Hills, whenever you come near it, there's always going to be a sign. And so I took a picture in one spot, and here's what it looks like. Greater Victoria Water Supply Area lands, no trespassing. This area is patrolled, and there's this amazing waterfall. And right now in wintertime, just incredible amount of water going behind it. So what I want to do when I get to this part of the trail is to walk down here and kind of walk up along the waterfall and just be down near the waterfall, but staring you right in the face, and they got a couple of these signs, do not go through here. Absolutely no trespassing. Other signs say there are cameras mount, <coughs> excuse me, cameras mounted to watch you, to survey you. If anyone goes into this watershed land, we're watching you. Uh, I was reading a bit more about it. Apparently, there's also like alarm systems all part of the pipes and things. So if somehow something happens to one of the pipes, whether there's something to do with the pressure or some infection or something, alarm systems all the way along. So here's the question. Why has the CRD put up all of these signs, put up all the patrols, security cameras, alarm systems within the pipes? Why go to all this effort to guard the water? You know the reason why. It's because that water up in the watershed, if it's somehow, like just imagine some wicked-minded person decided they were going to pour toxic waste somewhere up into a reservoir. The effects of that upon the entire population of the CRD would be massive. And so the CRD is guarding the springs which send the water to all of our lives, and that water affects so much of everything that we do, of course, our lives themselves. So here's the key principle of what Proverbs 4 is saying to us. It's saying whatever is in your heart is going to flow out to every other area of your life. Every area of your life. So whatever's in there, it's going to affect your relationships. It's going to be how you're going to talk. It's going to be affect the decisions you make. If you allow toxic waste into your heart, if you allow poison into your heart, the other metaphor would be if you walk off the path, the king's path, it's going to affect you because you're going to allow certain things into the watershed, into the spring, the source of the spring. And so this is why this passage goes on to mention some key areas of life that you need to guard. So you don't allow certain things into your heart. So here's one of the very first one. Being careful how you speak. Proverbs 4.24 says, Put away from you crooked speech 
and put devious talk far from you. Don't let any twisting of the truth come into your heart. Don't, don't allow that. Don't allow that kind of speech to ever come out where you're twisting things, shaping things, manipulating things in the way that you talk or telling lies. Don't allow that. It'll corrupt you. There's another area. Be careful how you use your eyes. Verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Careful what you look at. Caref- guard, guard the heart. Don't let it become corrupted. And then he calls you to be careful where you allow your feet to lead you. Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet. Think about where you go. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So verses 20 to 27 then are one big call to guard your steps. Keep your heart with God. And of course, this is a daily battle. We got to be very careful. There are many wicked, many vandals in life, if you want to put it that way, through, through just life, through, through media that are trying to pour poison into our hearts. And you got to be careful. You got to guard your heart lest it become corrupted and then it will corrupt everything else. So let me ask you, where is the Holy Spirit speaking to you maybe right now? What's on your mind? Is this something that you look at with your eyes that the Spirit is speaking to? Is it the way that you speak? Do you always, are you known as an honest person that people can trust everything you say? Is it the way you use your feet to go places, taking paths that you should not be walking? What is the Spirit maybe putting his finger on right now in your heart? Let the Spirit speak. Do not push away that voice. For he is doing this for your good. I'm sure it's a painful voice. But he's saying to you, you're walking the wrong path. That path is only going to lead to problems, to pain. And it could even end up destroying your life. Don't walk that path. So the first thing we saw is you got to stick to the path. The second thing we've seen is you got to guard your steps even while you're walking the path because there's many things that tempt you to leave it. Like Christian and Ophel were tempted to leave it. But now let's finish with one very important thing. What if you have left the path? What if you've taken Bypath Meadow and maybe you've walked that path for years? Maybe it's decades. Maybe you grew up in the church, for instance, but you have now lived your own life, your own way for a very long time. You have no regard for God. You do what you want. What should you do if that's you? What should you do maybe, okay, maybe you've just kind of, it's been like the last season of life. You kind of walk in your own way. You're not following Jesus so closely. What should you do? Or maybe you have been walking the king's path, but yesterday was not a great day. And you did take Bypath Meadow for a short period of time, and you know you shouldn't have. Now what should you do? So whether it's been decades, whether it's been just the last season, or it was just yesterday, what should you do if you've left the king's path and you've gone through Bypath Meadow? Well, in the third and final place, this passage calls you to do this. Do the right thing if you've gone the wrong way. Do the right thing if you've gone the wrong way. So then the obvious question is, what is the right thing? Let me suggest a few things to you this morning to wrap it all up. First of all, I'd say this. Go back to the king's path. 
Go back to the king's path. The biblical word here would be repentance. That means to do a U-turn. So if you've been living apart from Jesus, then the very first thing you got to do, it's very simple. You need to return to him. Do an about turn. Jesus, I want to live for you. If there's one area maybe of your life, maybe you've strayed into Bypath Meadow, it's to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm turning away from that and I'm coming back to the king's path. C.S. Lewis puts this so well. Here's what he writes. If you've taken a wrong turn, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. We all know that. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn. That's like the biblical word repentance, U-turn, and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns, man or woman, who turns back soonest is the most progressive person. We've all seen this when doing arithmetic, for instance. When I have started a, a math problem, a sum, the wrong way, the sooner I admit this and go back and start over again, the faster I shall get on. Going back is the quickest way on or the quickest way forward. So that's the first thing. Just say, I got to go back. I'm going back to the king's path now, no matter how long it's been. Secondly, we need to hear this. Receive the king's grace. So now you're saying, okay, I'm coming out, Jesus. I want to come back to you. I've been foolish. I've not walked the path of wisdom. I've walked my own paths. I, I don't want to do that. Jesus, I'm coming back to you now. Now, what, what kind of God do you find when you have walked away from him and you've, you've gone off to all these foolish paths and now you're coming back? Do you find a king who says, well, I don't know. That was like chance 223. How many more chances do you want? Do you get a king who scolds you? Well, you can sit on the side of the path for a while and think about it. Maybe I'll let you back on my path. You've, in other words, do you find a God who's maybe just going to give you a couple more chances or scolds you and puts you in your place? No, what kind of king do you find when you repent of your foolishness and come back to him? Well, remember the great story of the prodigal son. There was a young man who went on his own paths into a far-off country, it says. In other words, he chose those paths that went farthest away from God. And eventually, when he, like all of us must learn, like Oscar Wilde had to learn, when he came to his senses and he realized this, is not going to, this path does not lead to happiness, it leads to problems, pain, and the destruction of my life. When he came to his senses, he said, okay, I'll try and go back to my father. But he was afraid. I don't know, will my father accept me? Maybe I could just be his servant. Because what I've done, I don't know. That, uh, no one's that gracious they could receive me. Maybe I could just be a servant in his house. But what kind of father does he find? His father's been watching the road for him the whole time. And when he sees him, he runs toward him, throws his arms around him and kisses him all over his face. And he calls for a giant party to be thrown. For he says, my son who was lost has now been found. That is the kind of God who rules the universe. He is a just and fair God, but he is a gracious God. And maybe you'll say, I don't know if he can accept me after the things I've done. I knew exactly what I was doing and I did it anyways. But hey, listen, if you come back to him in a spirit of repentance and confession, what you find is that he sent his son into this world to die for the exact sins that you have committed in leaving his path. And he did not send his son to die in vain. He sent his son to save you to forgive you. 
And the Father stands right now, ready and willing to receive you. And you'll find a Father who embraces you and says, welcome back home. Now let's start walking the path again together. Receive the King's grace. Third, ask the King for a good heart. Now the emphasis of our passage today is on the actions that you and I must take. You must guard your heart. You don't just say, God, guard my heart for me. No, you must guard your heart. You must make decisions. But we've said all of that. There's something else I think we need to add. There's nothing wrong also and very important that even as we are walking the king's road, we say with King David in Psalm 86 verse 11, we cry out to God saying, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Oh, Father, give me an undivided heart, a heart that's focused on you. Give me that kind of heart. You pray with Psalm 19. You say, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in my heart, may they be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You come and you kneel before Jesus. You say, oh, my king, forgive me for anything I've ever done wrong and give me a heart that hungers for you, a heart that thirsts for you. Forgive me for allowing any toxic waste into my heart. And Father, would you come and not allow me to be led away into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Do this, Father, I pray, for I am weak and I need you. Pray that the king would give you a good heart. And then finally, we'll go back to where we began. Stick to the king's path. Stick to the king's path. Just like Christian and hopeful, on their journey we all learn, and hopefully we do learn, (laughs) that when we take our paths into bypath meadow, they do not lead ultimately to happiness. We need to learn to trust, and sadly, almost all of us really have to learn the hard way. But what Proverbs is trying to teach us today, Proverbs is saying to us, listen, before you have to learn the hard way. Oscar Wilde is saying, listen, before you have to learn the hard way. But we're also learning on this path, it's not always easy to walk it. So maybe you've walked it for decades, and you know it's been hard. Following Jesus is not always an easy thing. But listen, it's the only path that leads to the celestial city. Be encouraged, you who maybe today are feeling weary. The journey of life has been long. Maybe it's been hard. Look behind you at how far you've come. Don't give up now. For the path will soon come to the river, the river that we all must go through, the river of death. And when we pass over and through that river, we will die. And if you are in Christ, you will open your eyes and you will see the great city. The angels will be there to welcome you. Christians you've known in this life who died before you, maybe they're going to come rushing out of the city to welcome you and welcome you home. They'll bring you into the city and you will be brought before your king. The king that you've always known in this life, the king you've believed in by faith, but you've never seen with your eyes. And on that day, Revelation 22.5 says, you will see his face. And just one look at our Savior's face, Just one look at his beauty, at his glory, will make us say that all the trials and tribulations of this life have been worth it. For now we are home. Now we are with our king. 
And he will turn to you and he will say, come, you who are blessed of my father, receive your inheritance, the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. And you will walk into your eternal happiness. The road is long and the road is hard. But stick to the path. Guard your steps. The long journey will be worth it when one day it ends at the great city of the great king. Let me lead you in a time of prayer now. We're going to sing the great hymn, I Surrender All, in a few moments. But let's just do that in our, in our hearts. Let's all close our eyes wherever we're at. Let's just come before Jesus, and I'll give you a moment now for you to say to Jesus, in your own words, something like, Jesus, forgive me when I have strayed from the path. Jesus, forgive my sins and enable me now this day forward to walk your path. I'll give you just a moment to say that in your own words to him. Jesus, I pray for everyone watching this this morning that you would grant much grace where there is sorrow and grief over sins that have been committed. May you lead people through a time of confession and repentance and then in your good time to raise them back up in your grace, to remind them of your great love in Christ and your forgiveness. Father, for those who are wanting to walk your path, Lord, I pray you would give them the grace to do so. Father, for all of us, we cry out, lead us not into temptation. We are easily deceived. Oh, so easily deceived. So lead us away, Father. Deliver us from the evil one who would come to destroy us, but who comes cloaked as an angel of light someone who makes life seem happier without you and life is better without the almighty God. We easily believe these lies as well. Forgive us, Father. Give us grace to see you for who you truly are and to follow follow you. So, Father, right now, we just want to surrender all that we are to you. Take our lives. Use them for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.